Yeah, she'll teach you how to be artistically you. Not afraid to talk about what's taboo. So don't play small. Join the podcast with Nikki Collins. Autism Unmasked. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Autism Unmasked. I'm joined by the brilliant Andrew Marsh who is a author, a speaker and a coach who helps employees to do amazing things with their neurodivergent and neurodifferent talent. So Andrew is a late diagnosed autistic male and he's on a mission. He really is on a mission and I'm sure we're going to cover that in some detail in today's chat. So welcome to the show Andrew and thank you for being here. Hi Nikki, thanks very much for having me on. I um it's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, so we, our paths crossed uh, quite some time ago now, and I've had the uh, the pleasure of getting to know you over the last couple of years since lockdown and everything kind of went on to Zoom, which actually opened up the world. It did. So much it, more. It did. It uh, Out of a diverse diversity situation, a situation that caused us to be diverse and think differently, we found a way to communicate with each other, and it's working. So keep it up <laughs> I know all, 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 these, all these companies saying we know we've got to get everyone back to work you mean the last two and a half years wasn't working well I've just done a long distance house move 170 miles just short of that and my business hasn't been impacted by that because it is all online now and I wouldn't have been able to do that if it was still a grassroots business mm, exactly exactly mm. so yeah this this pandemic has opened the world up and those that adapt and change will thrive Absolutely. Absolutely. You're a late diagnosed autistic male. How did you end up working out that you're autistic? What was it that kind of got you down that route and investigating and exploring? I think the first thing to say is I've always known I was different. Mm. From my earliest childhood memories, I was different. I didn't fit in particularly well with family didn't fit in with school with with one or two notable exceptions I didn't particularly fit in school and work and I, I just was different what are we going to do with Andrew sort of situation and um, my family had this wonderful way of getting me to try and do what they wanted me to do this happened when I was about eight years old it was Christmas the whole extended family was in my nan's townhouse in Brighton aunts, uncles, grandparents, cousins, the whole lot, a big mass of people. And there were, most of us were in the big lounge, huge lounge. You could play football in that lounge. It was massive. It was, there was quite a lot of noise. And an adult came in and saw me in the middle of this noise and came out with the immortal words, which are, Andrew, sit down, shut up and be quiet. And that Mm-hmm. mantra and it was a mantra that they all used was how I lived my next 10 years of my life until I was 18 not fitting in in family I mean of all the places to not fit in family should be the last but it yeah. was the first for me it was the first place that I didn't fit in I've always always felt different um I struggled I struggled I had a really bad time at college I was I was not bullied I was abused bullying just come nowhere near the level of abuse that I got at college. Yeah. So to come back to your question, there's there's this always known I was different, not fitting in at work. Um, about 12 years ago, uh, the credit crunch came and it I 
burnt myself out work trying to find work and I became ill and uh, I have uh, a bad back that I damaged my back a couple of times when I was a foolish young man and and um, so I was have, have a bit of pain problems and things like that and uh, I got my doctor referred me to something called the pain management clinic um, which is an NHS thing and it was funded by a clinical psychologist and a physiotherapist mm-hmm. and it was a uh, weekly sessions for 12 weeks where we talked about managing your pain mindfulness meditation things like that and uh I was talking to the guy who runs it one day, he's a clinical psychologist. I said, having having had some idea and and done what what people would normally do these days is they Google, do I have Asperger's on the internet? And this quiz came up and I did the quiz and I scored very highly. And whilst that's not a diagnostic tool, it gave me, gave me an indication that, yeah, okay, I might be I might be on this spectrum of whatever that actually means. So I spoke to this clinical psychologist. He says, um, actually, I don't diagnose people, but I've been trained to. But then he said the magic words. He says, I've noticed you do this, this and this, and you say this, this, and that you say should, would and could, and you're governed by rules. And I thought about that for a moment and I thought, do you know what? He's right. I am a fairly stickler to rules and procedures and plans. And, you know, if there's a way to do it, I will do it that way. And and, and mm. then he said, if you like, I can email your GP because I think it's something you might want to explore. So he emailed my GP. When I next saw my GP, he said, yeah, I got this letter, uh, email. Um, can you give me a paragraph or two on what you think about it? And they, I did, and he he looked, he read it, and he went, "Yeah, okay, I'll refer you." And where we live in Glasgow, the next town to the west of us on the on the River Clyde is Clyde Bank. It's eight ten miles away, and in Clyde Bank is where the adult autism team is, and that's where they do diagnose diag- diagnostic testing of adults. Hmm. So I got referred there. I had three one hour interviews. The first one on my own, and the second two with my wife. And actually, having my wife there was 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 a key point of getting the diagnosis because they would ask me questions. I'd say, Oh no, I don't do that. And she'll go, uh, actually, yes, you do. But then she could give examples. It's having that third party validation or verification that I did do the things that they were asking. So that's sort of the medium length version of how I got my diagnosis. And then the, I know this is the question, the next question. So I'm going to jump, jump in there. The, <laughs> the, the big word for me, about my diagnosis was understanding. I now understood why I was different. I understood why I did things differently to others. I understood why I have all my books lined up alphabetically or by size. I understand that when I was a kid, I had all my tapes and my records all lined up how I wanted them. And and I would know if someone had been into my bedroom and moved a book or moved moved a cassette tape or an album or a record, I would know straight away just by walking into the room and that one second of scanning everything in my room i would know that someone had been in or someone had moved something yeah that that that's my I, i'm an order person i have to have order and and things all lined up and my bookshelf over there is all nice and neat and i've got my filing cabinet down here and all, all of those sorts of things so um so understanding i understand why i'm different but i also understand why i stuck out like a sore thumb and to some extent why some people treated me as poorly as they did and it was it was actually a very cathartic process to be able to say, okay, I understand me now. I, I I've got to learn about this a bit more, find out more about it. But it was very much uh, this is what you are, this is who you are. 
that's that's embrace it and i have absolutely embraced my diagnosis i um and i know some people struggle with their diagnosis and they and 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 i'm not trying to belittle that in any way because we all have our challenges but i i call it my superpower mm, yeah because it's i think it's given me my creativity to write books and to think of things and, and to ask the what if questions i was i was always getting into trouble at work by asking the what if questions what if we did it like this or what if we looked at it from a different way and looked and had this approach and I can remember when I was a geologist being in meetings and I'm sitting there and I'm going, why is no one asking this question? And I would sit there and I'd think about it and I go, why is no one asking this question? So yeah, I would yeah. say, actually, I've got a question. So I'd ask this question and they'll look, the blank looks around the room of people, they go, what? And I'd explain why I meant what I meant by the question. I said, well, if we answered this question, maybe we could move forward and we could find a solution to the problem and, and you know at the end yeah. of at the end of a meeting you want to be in a better position than you were when you started otherwise there's no point having the meeting you want to move yourself forward and my boss from time to time after meetings would say why did you think of that what, what made you ask that question and on the odd occasion I would say to him actually the question you should be asking yourself is why didn't you think of it why didn't <laughs> why didn't you think of it <laughs> And they didn't like that because I was challenging their authority. So that that just labeled me as a troublemaker again. And, oh. and so that all of those sorts of things. But that's how my brain works. I, I like to, uh, whilst I am a conventional rule follower, I do like to challenge that. And if I can think of a different way of doing something, I will either do it yeah. or I will ask, say, how about if we looked at it in this way and we, we try and solve it in this way? And that's what I do. And, and that, it, that, free thinking that i call it um gives my imagination wonderful opportunities to run riot and and think of things and that's how i come up with the ideas for like my books and uh um and i i'm i'm i absolutely think it's my superpower and uh i think it's given me my creativity and and my unique outlook on life and how i look at the world and people around me and sometimes it gives me challenges with people people are my biggest challenge nikki People. Yes, people can be a biggest challenge for me too. But uh, just skipping back to what you were saying there about like asking the questions that other people didn't even think to ask. I think mm. that in itself, again, as you say, is a superpower because we see things from a different angle. We're not in the same box as everybody else. And when people can actually learn to think, actually, this is an asset, this is a skill, and it's going to actually enhance our organisation because it's looking from things from a totally different perspective rather than feel like you're being judged or coming yeah. from a negative a space of negativity. I think that's actually when we can really make really meaningful contributions and make lasting change. Do you find that there are so many steps to people's processes sometimes and you can see the shortcut around it and you can yeah. take this, 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 this and out. And yeah. you get to this part so much quicker. And then you still get that look of, huh? Yeah. No, we do it this way because that's the way we've always done it. Yes. That, oh, that, that phrase, that, <laughs> fra that, fra that phrase has been a, a big challenge to me in my working career as a geologist, but this is the way we've always done it. Now, I can be a bit mischievous from time to time. 
I've got a mischievous streak in me. I can sense that in you. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I was given a, uh, a job to do, to write a report on. And uh, my boss said, we had, a, we had a similar job a couple of years ago. Write the report similar to that. Do, do it as the same as that. And I said to him, did anyone ask whether when they went to build that, what we told them worked or whether they had to change it on site and think about didn't we didn't answer all the questions and they found things that they didn't expect to find has anyone asked whether what we gave them before worked and he just looked at me with a blank look and said i don't care just do it what what chance have you got when your people that you're working for and it was definitely a working for and not a working with um, and that's a big difference. People that you're working for are so narrow-minded and so, I don't care, just do it. Where's the where's the imaginative spark in there? Where's the, yes, I've got Andrew working for me. He's going to do a great job and he's going he's gonna to cover all the bases. No, I want what you did last time. Do it as quickly as you can and as cheaply as you can. Boom, then we can send it off and forget about it. Mm. I, I'm not a forget about it kind of person when you send something off. I want to know whether the client's happy with it. I want to know whether it worked. I want to know whether they had to change the design or do something different when they got on site because we hadn't found something or, or we didn't cover something properly. I want, I want to know so that next time I've got a similar job, I can put in the experience that we've learned from the previous one so that I'm always gaining knowledge, gaining information, gaining ideas, learning from others. And, and I absolutely am someone who definitely loves learning from others, even taking the simple things like the, the, this machine that we're talking to each other on each other. Now, when I was a geologist, most of my career was without a computer. Yeah. All of my career was handwriting, hand analysis, of whatever we were doing and handwriting the reports, sending them into the secretarial pool for the typists coming back. And then you have the five or six iterations with all the spellings and all the corrections and all of that. Um, so when I started to learn how to use a computer, I didn't know how to use a word document and write something. I didn't know what the heck a spreadsheet was. But when I saw what someone had done with the spreadsheet and produced this lovely table with information on it and it was in order and things, <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. So I would I would go and sit next to the person who knew how to do it and I'd say, would you mind showing me how to do this for half an hour? Mm. And so I would they would show me how to do it a couple of times, then I'd pick it up. Yeah. So always I'm always willing to learn. Um, and I, I now have that. I have people who will say to me when I was when we did get computers at work, they'll say, oh, you've done some great spreadsheets. How did you do that? No problem at all. Just sit down with them for half an hour. You can you can afford that time because you're investing that time in that person understanding how to use this tool, be it a spreadsheet, be it writing a word uh, report in Word or whatever it is. And it's in, I think it's incumbent on all of us as we get experience of things to share that knowledge and hoard it, share it. And, you know, uh, otherwise someone else has got to learn from first principles and then the next person has got to learn from first principles. Why not, why not pull your knowledge and, and share that knowledge? That's a much better way of doing things, I think. Totally, totally. I think one of the best things to do that I enjoy is asking someone what their special interest is and sitting down and just listening. Because 
you can get so much information in such a short period of time in the grand scheme of things. And this person, they know that inside and out. They've studied it. They've gone down the rabbit hole and they've gone through the rabbit hole to wherever the other side of the rabbit hole is. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I think the day we stopped learning is a very sad day. And I actually remember a few years ago, my son said to me, I can't wait to finish school because then I don't have to learn anymore. <laughs> I know. I just said to him. Oh, he's in for surprise at 18, isn't he? Oh, no. <laughs> or 21. Yeah. Well, I just yeah. said to him, look, mate, I said, when you finish school, that's when the magic happens because you get to choose the topics that you learn about. So, yes, it might not be great at the moment. And as it happened, I ended up pulling him out of school when he was in year seven. And he was home educated. If that's the best thing that's for him, then absolutely. absolutely. Absolutely was. I think there's the education system needs a complete reform and it wasn't fitting his needs and yeah. it was damaging him. And yeah. I'd much rather him be around me learning in a very, very different way to a traditional sort of curriculum mm. and not have to irreparable mental health damage. So that was my mm. thought, the thought process behind that. And He's doing well. He's 16 and doing all right. Good. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Good for him. So you went from being a geologist to a coach and writer. Yeah. That's a big change. It is. The the, the credit crunch kind of put an end to my geological career. I, as, as I said earlier, I became ill and, and, and couldn't work. And so um, when I got my diagnosis, it was kind of like getting a second wind. And uh, and I'd been writing. I, I, I'd been writing. I started writing in about 1996. Um, um, and I can really get into writing. And I, I've got quite a lot of unpublished books, but uh, I'll get to those. But um, yeah, um, and I'm, I'm, I have my diagnosis and I'm thinking, well, I like talking about my writing. If people want to talk to me about something, talk to me about my writing. Yes, please. Or, or, or Asperger. And now I can quite happily talk about my Asperger's and what I what I do to help employers. But I thought I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm literally thinking, well, I'm in my mid-50s. What am I going to do? I'm not ready to be put out to pasture yet. There's, you know, I've still got, I still think I've got things I can contribute there's so, life in me yet <laughs> exactly and so i thought well why don't you start talking to employers about asperger's syndrome you've got 23 years lived experience of being a geologist in work you've got 50 58 years now of life experience of someone who was different has asperger's i developed my own little coping skills and coping mechanisms that i probably still don't know some of what some of them are because they're so automatic mm. um why don't I use 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 a speaking platform and say to say to employers, I've got these skills. Other people with Asperger's and with autism will also have these skills. They'll have other skills. They'll have other abilities. They'll they'll be able to. Maybe they think like me. They think differently. They think freely. They can ask the what if questions. Maybe they can uh, be good at problem solving. Maybe they could be good at, at uh, innovation and new ideas and things like that. Why not try to build a career about speaking to employers about the benefits and the positive attributes of employing people with Asperger's? And it could well be that you've got some people in the organization already, but you don't know it. But you might only ever know it when there's a problem. And that problem would usually be 
a conflict with the manager, which is what I had uh, in my career. And then somewhere up the line, that conflict, if it happens two or three times or four times, gets to the next manager up the level. Oh, hang on a minute. We've got a problem with Andrew. What are we going to do about Andrew? Oh, HR then get involved. That's when huge, big other kettle of fish gets opened up, can of worms and all those wonderful metaphors. What are we going to do with Andrew? What are we going to do with this person who is being difficult? That's where HR have, have to make a decision. They have to say, okay, if they're good HR, they'll say, they'll, they should have a chat with that person and say, what is it that we are doing that is causing you to rub up against us? What is it that we are doing that is causing you anxiety, causing you difficulty, which is causing these problems that we're having? How can we help you? How can we support you do your work better? Because mm-hmm. that's what we're all here for. Yeah. A manager shouldn't be here to micromanage everyone and clock, make sure they've clocked in and out and they haven't had too long for their breaks and this, that and the other. That's not what a manager is for. A manager is to support all of their staff to be the best that they can be at what they do. Arguably, that's the difference between a manager and a leader. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if HR get involved and they can have that discussion, the, the person will say, well, actually, I haven't been getting clear instructions and they keep changing their mind. Then oh, they don't yeah. say and they don't say what they mean. They told me this. And so I did that. But then when I gave it to them and finished it, but well, that's not what we meant. I said, mm-hmm. Well, you've got to say what you mean and you've yes. got to mean what you say. Two different things, but all focused around the same thing. And I'll say them again because it's really important for, for people that are listening. Be very specific. Say what you mean and mean what you say. And that way, the person with Asperger's or autism will know exactly what you want them to do. And they will go off and do it. They will be happily go off and do that. The problem yeah. then becomes is when you've given, when they've given you the, the, the result of that and you then don't like it. Yes. That yeah. isn't the person with Asperger's or autism's fault. That's your fault. If their fault is the right word, it really shouldn't be the right word. But the challenge is to communicate what you want with them better. Maybe have check-in points with them rather than just give them something. In two weeks' time, you get something back. Have check-in points with them mm. to see that they fully understood and are they going down the right route. Maybe have the check-in point at, say, lunchtime on the second day after you've given them the instructions to yeah. say, how are you getting on? Are you going down the right You know, just see, guide them gently guide them where you're going and then have another check-in point after three or four more days because then they'll have got into the swing of it they'll know what they're doing and you can say yep i'm really pleased with that that's going really well so that when you get the end result it doesn't come as a surprise to the manager because they've had an understanding of what's going on and the person is doing it right rather than two weeks time bang there's the report all hell breaks loose because the communication hasn't been right and I mean, yeah. let's face it, the person hasn't deliberately spent two weeks trying to get it wrong. No, of course not. So right. if if there's a conflict point there, it comes from the communication. And exactly. It, and that's where you have to be. I, I use three words when I when I talk to employers. Be clear, be specific, be precise. Yes, absolutely. And if you are using those regular checking points at those regular intervals, like you've just suggested, you don't feel like you're being micromanaged as no, well. Exactly. You're given the freedom to express yourself and put your own mark on what you're doing. You feel as though you have ownership of it. But, but as you say, you're not being micromanaged. 
by by someone who's sitting over your shoulder marking what you're doing all the time you've got to be able to have the freedom to express yourself and do and do the work um and, and that's a really important part of of being diverse being inclusive and having yeah. an equitable in, uh, workplace because I, I use a phrase that I do when I when I do my my my, uh, my talks and when I speak to employers. I ha- I have a phrase that I use. If you always employ the same type of person doing the same type of job, guess what? You're going to get the same type of result. Yes. In order for your business to thrive, you need to have people who are as diverse as possible. And I'm I'm sorry. This is the this I get I get really you know. Uh, about this but you have to be people who are diverse ethnicity diverse from culturally diverse diverse color sexual identity sexual uh, orientation every diversity you can think of people who come from different countries and different backgrounds different ethnicities because that's what makes multicultural and multi-talented gene pool for your business and they will have different life experiences they will have different ways of doing something and and have a brainstorming session when you're when you're having problems you can't just always rely on the manager to fix it he might not know she might not know the answer to that problem but if you have a brainstorming session and this is one of the things i did when i was a geologist i didn't call it this but this is what i did because if we had problems and i was briefing my boss and my colleagues on what the problems were um in the construction industry we use drawings a lot mm. if you have a drawing it tells you where things are what's to be done and there'll be some notes that tell you a bit more about it so i would mark up a drawing and i would color it because i love color coding i love color coding <laughs> and i would mark <laughs> and i would mark it up and so that it was a visual so we had a visual image of the situation and i would get everyone around a table put the drawing in the middle and I would go literally go through it point by point, pointing to the various areas, various aspects and say, these are the problems. These are what we've done. This is what's worked well. This hasn't worked well. This is the challenging point. These are what I think we could be, we, we might want to do to try and solve it. But I would like everyone's opinion because there might be things that you think of that I haven't and have that open session where everyone is given the opportunity to contribute and I always say, and 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 I was always one for saying, I would ask the daft questions because there isn't such a thing as a daft question, really. Asking the daft question is looking at something from a different point of view. And I was quite happy to sit in meetings or in situations like that and ask the daft question because it wasn't daft to me. And if we could answer it in a way that made sense to me, maybe it might make sense to other people mm-hmm. and it might move us forward in finding a solution to the problem that was at hand. So mm-hmm. I was never afraid of asking the daft question. And and sometimes people would say, oh, Andrew, you just could, this, this sounds like one of the occasions for you to ask one of your daft questions. And they'd make a joke about it, which was fine. I didn't have any problem with that. Yeah. But that's how you tackle things. You have... You give people the freedom to express themselves, to, to, to think outside the box, think differently. If, we've got, if you've got someone who's come from a different culture, a different background, a different part of the, of the globe, their life experiences are going to be different. They're going to have different approaches to certain things. They might have had that problem five times before and know how to fix it. Yep. Ask them. Exactly. Always the best policy. One of the things that I always say to people is, 
The only silly question is one that isn't asked. There's no such thing as a daft question. No. And and, and the thing that I... Everyone should be given the opportunity to express themselves. Totally. to, 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 To be diverse, to be inclusive... It's not about making the people that have been conventionally making the decisions redundant, which are usually, and I'm going to say it, white men between the age of 21 and 60. So I'm still included in that. It's not about making us redundant. It's about giving everyone else the same opportunities to have decision-making process so that everyone can contribute. Because I won't know the answer to everything. Mm-mm. I know that. Yeah. So if other people can contribute... Let's please have your ideas and we will work it out together. The leader, as you say, the leader is the one who will roll their sleeves up, come into the office and say, got a problem here. How can we resolve this? Let's, can, we, can we all meet up in half an hour's time with a cup of tea and talk this through? Because I'm sure someone here has got something that can help. That's a leader. Exactly. You're finding solutions together as a team rather than dictating you will do this. Yeah. It's my way. This is how we're going to do it. And, it's, and even when you can see that someone's doing something and it's probably not going to result in the end result that the team would be hoping for, it's at that point we can look at solutions and maybe guide and say, well, where do you see this going? Yeah. How do you see this going? Like if we, if we look a few steps ahead. Yeah. And then you're putting it back into that person's control. So it isn't about control and management. It is about empowering that person yeah. to get the best out of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, they know that they've done a good job and they've learned something in the process too. That is what good leadership is. And that is the difference between leadership and management. Absolutely. And there is nothing better at work than feeling valued. And if yeah. you're included in the discussion, if you're included in what's going on and someone and your opinion matters because you're given the opportunity to express it, to ask the dark questions, to think out the box. And everyone is sitting there going, wow, that was interesting. I never thought of it like that. That's where you feel valued. That's where when push comes to shove on a Friday afternoon, you're going to stay behind that extra half hour to get something out, get something done, rather than, well, I'm not valued. I'm, I'm just browbeaten into submission about this. I'm just going to go home at quarter past five. Cheerio, guys. Mm. Not my problem. You know, you've got to have, you've got to create an environment where everyone matters and everyone counts. And that's where true leaders shine. And, and, and unfortunately, it makes bad managers stand out as well, which is when they get, feel that they get threatened and then they get even worse at what that, at what they do. They become, well, you, you've, I mean, I've worked for some, I'm sure you've seen those in, in, in the work environment. I most certainly have. I came from corporate banking, so you can imagine Ooh. the ego in that environment. Yeah. Oh dear. So, are you writing any novels, stories at the moment? Yes, I, I, I still work on my novels. Um, I've got quite a few uh, unpublished books, so I, I do work on those from time to time, give them another review. Um, I'm, I'm working on a long-standing story I have by developing the. Uh, I call it my notes and ideas. It's it's basically the brain dump of yeah. of i just get get it down i don't worry about typing grammar or anything just get it down on paper sometimes it's bullet points sometimes it's sentences sometimes it's paragraphs and pages i just get it all down and then what i'll do is i'll work that around manipulate it print it out have a look check change the order sometimes so i i, div, I sort of do that to develop 
the plot, develop the character, develop the scene, develop who who it is and where it's going. And, that's, and sometimes I don't know where the end is uh, when I start writing a book, um, mm. which uh, which I find really exciting um, because I, I don't know what the end is. Sometimes I do, mm. um, but 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 sometimes I thought I've got enough to start. I know where I'm going for the start. I'm just going to let the story take me where it's going to go. And that's, that's just so refreshing, not being, uh, not being tied down. Um, sometimes I go up blind alleys, but because I've been doing it for quite a while now, I, I generally am going in the way that I want to go. I, I, I generally don't have too much to delete. I, I don't, uh, I'm usually pretty good at keeping, keeping tabs with what I'm writing. So but it's uh, it's it's very exciting. I love it. I love it. I, I am writing um, my Asperger's story. I am writing that. Awesome. So uh, at, at some point in the in the future, probably not not too soon, but uh, at some point in the future, there will be my Asperger's story, and I've already given you the title for it. You've already heard the title on this call. Awesome. So brilliant. No, I, I wish you all the best of luck with that because it can be really cathartic putting yeah. this sort of thing into into motion. And one day maybe I'll put something out there of my own journey, but it's not at a point where I kind of want to put an end an end point to it. It's still so there's still some yeah. steps before yeah. I'd like to write that uh, that, that that memoir. Yeah, it is, mine is a sort of it's it's in three parts. It's the the mm-hmm. The life before diagnosis yeah. it's the diagnostic process yeah what that means and what i'm doing with 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 employers to help them manage people with asperger's better so uh it's a three-parter so the, the the back end of it has lots of tips and strategies and coping mechanisms and and how people can um help help themselves at work as well as what employers should be doing to better yeah. manage people but it's also I, I like to think of it as a message of hope as well that uh um, just because you've got this condition, I've, maybe some of them have just been diagnosed, or they they've noticed some of the traits that they come up with that, that, that they exhibit. Maybe it gives them an opportunity to think. Well, maybe I should try and pursue getting a diagnosis. And, and I know my diagnostic process was quite the straightforward and easy one. And mm. and 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 getting a diagnosis through the the health service is can be a challenge. Um, so I, I'm aware of that. And and uh, but but maybe there's some maybe there's some tips in there that might help someone just going through a struggle thinking maybe they maybe they maybe they're just like me maybe maybe someone's partner has just been diagnosed in their 40s or 50s and yeah. their partner's thinking how how can i how can i communicate with my partner better because mm. now i understand that they've got uh, asperger's or autism uh, how can i communicate with them better what could i do to help them because i've noticed in some circumstances like being in groups of people and around lots of people. I still struggle with going, going to, to networking meetings before COVID, uh, walking into a room of 40 people or having having 20 different conversations. That was that was a challenge for me to, to walk in there and, I, you know, I'm Andrew, I, I do this. And when, yeah. because I was brought up not to pester people and not to interrupt people. So yeah, same when, when, when you walk into a room and the people are having conversations, I don't, I, I'm not someone that would just walk up to someone when they're having a conversation and interrupt them. I, my upbringing, my my mm. the baggage I bring with me, whether that's good or bad, those sort of situations, being around people and and even around friends and family, 
I can get to a point of an evening or an afternoon where I'm thinking, it's been very nice being here and I've really enjoyed it and I'm still having a good time, but I need to go home now. Yes. And we've, we've told friends and family that, that that might be the case and they're all fine with it. Yeah. Um, because the, the, what they don't want to happen is for me to get to a point where I am struggling, where I'm getting too much noise, too many conversations, I'm starting to get overwhelmed and I can mm. snap. Yeah. And, and we can get into a, a, a meltdown situation. That is not nice. No, no. Um, and so if we can avoid that, take me out of the situation, we do. And we go home. And once I'm in the car and I'm fine, and then when I get home, I'm even better because I'm back in familiar territory. Yeah. And, and people understand that rather than uh, rather than see the, the effects of being around too many people, too much with too much noise and bright lights and things. Um, yeah. We just discreetly say cheerio and yeah. get back I, to i see two sort of, i have two thoughts around that firstly there's almost always guaranteed to be somebody sat in that room waiting to see who is going to leave first which then gives them permission to get up and leave so there's yes. nothing to stop you from being that person to get up to leave first I was invited to a barbecue recently with someone that I don't know. As I said, I've recently moved areas and I don't know any people other than my partner's connections, which is lovely. But I'd also like to make my own connections and joint connections outside of, of those groups, too. Mm. So we went along to this barbecue. But before I did, I messaged her and I said, look, if it's going to be busy, I might not stay for very long. It might be a short half an hour sort of visit because I'm autistic and I don't do crowds and busyness. I wanted to let you know before I came along so you didn't think that I was being rude if I was to suddenly disappear early. Yep. The response back was fantastic. She said, I don't like large crowds either, bright lights or noises. And I was like, hmm, okay, <laughs> this sounds familiar. As it happened, there was actually only the three of us. This, this other lady and my partner and myself. And I stayed for three hours. And you know what it's like for someone new to stay yeah. in yeah. three hours of their company. We got on like a house on fire. And it was a real privilege and honour to me. I feel really blessed. And it's so does she. Good. So we do more things together. But being having, able to have that openness and being able to know when you need to take a step back and take yourself out of an, out of an environment... Mm. For me at networking events, I'll just stand up and say, I've reached my outdoor quota for today, folks. And if I don't leave now, I'm going to make myself ill tomorrow. And everyone, without just every single person would say, that's absolutely fine, Nick. Are we doing hugs pre-COVID? Yes or no? And then they'd usher me out. They would literally help to escort me off. It's like, go, go. Look. Yeah. Don't yeah. want you now because we don't want you to be ill and burnt out. That's right. That's good. That's good. It's it's good to have that, and that takes the pressure off you. It really does. N knowing that you can leave without embarrassment, without feeling rude, and mm. and and all of those things. But um, it's it's so things that you find out, and you find you find ways to make things work, and that's that's one of the things that that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It all comes down to social conditioning and actually throwing out that neurotypical rule book because it's not applicable to us and rewriting the whole damn thing so that it works for us. But 
yeah. doesn't make us out to be rude. And if people do perceive that to be rude when you've politely explained, yeah. then that's on them, not us. Exactly. Exactly. If, if you've explained and you've given them the situation and they still take the hump, then, well, they were probably going to take the hump anyway. Exactly. And, and they're uh, not your people. So close call. <laughs> Disaster exactly. avoided. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hmm. The trouble it becomes is when they're family. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I I don't have that problem either. So <laughs> yeah, we're 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 an interesting family, but that's another story. Yeah, yeah. Well, my family consists of my partner, who has an autistic sixteen-year-old daughter. Um, I would say an ADHD son. That's not confirmed, and he's in complete denial over that. But if you watched him for half an hour, you'd see what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> And my partner, who I strongly suspect is neurodivergent, she's dyslexic. Then uh, then there's my son, who I believe is the same as me, autistic and ADHD. So that makes for an interesting, an interesting family dynamics. And outside of that, I only really have my aunt these days. So right. it's a very small kind of, hmm. there's a big extended family out there, but none of them communicate. So it doesn't impact my life in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Yeah. I, nice. we're, we're, <laughs> a, we're a desperate family. I, I, I have my son and my daughter and uh, I've got two brothers, but I haven't, I haven't spoken to them for quite some time. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm sure there's another podcast episode <laughs> in that. <laughs> so maybe we'll move along from that. Um, so you're working on your books at the moment. You are working in a coaching capacity and you're making some real change. And I know that you and I share similar outlooks in the fact that we want to be the change that we needed when we were younger. Yes. Yeah, if if doing what I do, speaking to groups of people, employers, if someone in that room, whether when I'm with them or afterwards when they're having a cup of tea or when they've gone home, goes, do you know what? He's describing my son or my grandson or my brother or um, particularly if it's a child, um, but not not exclusively obviously but if and they then have a conversation with that person and that person then if they want to gets a diagnosis speaks to the gp gets a diagnosis then gets the support they need they're not going to have the 58 years of well 58 years of being different without knowing why 51 years of being different without knowing why and getting bullied and abused at school and college and going through some of the nasty stuff that I went through mm. then that's a great day at the office for me if I have the impact on one person or if I have an impact on one company and one manager who then treats that person who's neurodivergent or anyone within their team they don't have to be neurodivergent they could be neurotypical but that they then treat their people better with more respect and give them the opportunity to express themselves so that they are leaders and not managers then that's also a great day at the office for me and uh, that's what i'm striving to do if it's one person at a time great if it's one company at a time all the better but there's so much that we can do and and i use there's a there's, a, there's another phrase that i use um, and this actually stops people in their tracks sometimes. And I say, do you know, we're in the third decade of the 21st century. 
We're not in the 1960s or 70s anymore. We're not even in the 1980s. The 1980s started 42 and a half years ago. Mm. We can do better than we did back in the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s. Yes. We know so much more about how to do things right, how to treat people with respect. We can do better. Absolutely. And we need and we, to start doing better. And we need to start doing better. And, you know, when you say when you say to someone that we're in the third decade of the 21st century, they look at you and think, oh, my God. I thought that. Actually, it does hammer it home because yeah. I mean, people think the 80s wasn't far away. Mm. The 80s was 42 and a half years ago when it started. Shh. I know. I was born in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in the 60s, Nikki. <laughs> I seem to be one for saying things, phrases these on this call. But I have a phrase that I also use is that says, I might get to be quite an old age. My body might be old, but I will never be old internally. Yeah, there might oh. be bits, bits not working properly and the odd limp and lump and bump and hip, things like that, but I'll never be old. Exactly. Uh, no, I, I think a lot of it comes down to mindset and yeah. how you perceive your, your, your yourself to be. So my inner child is very much alive and well and likes to come out to play often. And I think that I also get that across in my coaching as well. So yeah. something that yeah. some, could be quite challenging actually becomes really fun. Yes. But effective. And that's yes. what I try and get across into, into the way that I work. And that's yeah. what I love. Yeah, I, I think that's important. And one of the things I try not to do is I try not to be preachy and lectury. I try oh. to be informative and have, have interaction with them because they don't want someone like me coming in and preaching. They want they want someone who can help them find the solutions for themselves exactly you know there's there's things that i can suggest there's 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 practices that i can suggest that i've learned that work well for me they might work well for them but it has to come organically from within if they've got the open mind to want to 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 quiz me to to you know find out what i know find out how i can help them that's that's what i think it's about is finding out how i can help them be better at what they do absolutely i think that's i think that's a fantastic approach and if people are hiring you to come in to look at ways in or in, in ways to help support their workforce, either with neuro different people who are already within that force or taking on board people with differences, then it's best that they do listen and take on this advice because this is your specialism. This is what you work for. And yeah. this is what you've trained to do. So. On that note, Andrew, how can people find you? How, where, where are you? Thank you, Nikki. Um, they can find me at uh, on my website, which is aspergersmatters.com. Yeah. They can email me at andrew at aspergersmatters.com. Or they can get me on LinkedIn. I'm Andrew F. Marsh, but my picture is on my profile and it says I'm a I talk about Asperger's and things like that. So <laughs> you'll find me on LinkedIn. Um I do have Twitters, but they're very old and they're more related to my writing. So um, just those, just the website and LinkedIn. And I'd be happy to have a conversation with anyone about uh, anything that I, that they think I might be able to help them with. I'd, I'd welcome the opportunity. Or if someone, if, if someone listening thinks I might have Asperger's or autism, I don't know what to do. If they just want to have a Zoom call, we can have a chat. Perfectly fine with that. Happy to do that. Brilliant. And if anyone's looking for a diagnosis, I also have private diagnosis options, which are 
we'll have a six-week turnaround and are completely NHS recognised and they're cost-effective with payment plans. So between us, we can take over the world. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get my megalomaniac hat out. (laughs) (laughs) I have been told that I have the best villain laugh, so... (laughs) 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 And on that note, I think that this is a wrap, Andrew. Cool. I will put all of your information and your contact details into the show notes. So those that would like to reach out to Andrew can do so easily by clicking through to the links. There'll also be a transcript as usual in the blog part of the website. So just once again, Andrew, thank you so much for being here today and giving up your valuable time to help spread these all important messages of awareness acceptance and change thank you nikki it's been a pleasure i love to be a come on and i i I think what you're doing is fantastic as well and particularly with your diagnostic services i think uh, it's there's a need and if people are out there wondering then they you know feel free to get in touch with nikki because um, we need to get we, we need to get people diagnosed so that we can help them get the right support Exactly. We are all one big, happy, neurodivergent, neurodifferent family, and we like to try and support as many people as possible. Absolutely. Thanks again, Andrew. My pleasure. Thank you, Nikki. And for our listeners, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never have to miss an episode again. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast with Nikki Collins. Autism on me.